You're listening to the Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies and she said, can I try some? And so I gave her some of the sativa strand and she said it has made such a difference for her at work and just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normal people. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. All righty. Welcome, everyone, to the final episode. <laughs> Our final episode of the worst year ever in the history of humanity. You know what came to mind immediately was, uh, well, you've done it again. You wasted a, another perfectly good hour on the car talk. Did you ever watch car talk? Oh, yeah. At the end. Sorry. Well, you've done it again. You wasted another perfectly good year. Although yeah. <laughs> this year, it was not a perfect year. We're not the worst thing ha- to happen to you this year. That's no, what I think. No. I mean, maybe close, but not. No, this was quite the year. And Quite all kidding that. aside, yeah, it was, it, it was, was... What happened? I don't know. Did anything good happen this year? There were good things. There were good things. It's a mixed bag, you know? What? You know? I mean, I had good days. I'm, I'm a, Did you okay, have any good days? good days, individual good days, yeah. but just a good thing that happened, just... Yeah, you didn't have anything which, good which, happen? Which out-of-control fire was a good thing, you know, which... If you're a Dodgers fan... You had some good yeah, things. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, as we're recording Lakers this, fan, the World Series just ended. Yeah, you were, okay. So, but they don't mean anything because they're shortened seasons so because listen, of the So listen, what I'm trying to say pandemic. is if you listen to the wisdom literature of the Bible, things are grayer. They're not black and white. Stop okay? being so non-pessimistic. I want to be my German <laughs> self and like there's nothing good, nothing happened. Oh, so we're going to reflect on some of these things uh, of 2020. Yeah, and, and things that have come up with us right. in terms of like the podcast. Yeah, yeah. That um, you know, this is a year of thinking about stuff. I think right. of reflecting, of like having a lot of downtime, mm-hmm. and yeah. questions have come up. You know, directed to us or in and, and very positive ways, but just how do you handle this? What do you think about that? So we thought we would just take a little time today in the last episode of 2020, yay, and just talk about them. Yeah. Well, which one do you want to start with? Oh, I don't know. Okay. How about this? You guys are too political mm-hmm. or you guys need to get more political. Right. So that's sort of a tough call, and we do struggle with that a little bit, right, Jared? We mm-hmm. don't always know how to be. <laughs> well, and not to not to eject this so that we don't have to have that conversation, but you know, it it does raise the question of if we're focused on the Bible, how what is that intersection of the Bible and politics? What right. is appropriate and not appropriate for mm-hmm. those conversations? And for me personally, that's something I wrestle with is. What is appropriate when we're the Bible for normal people to talk about politics? Yeah, the best of biblical scholarship, bringing that to bear in people's lives. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit off-brand, I guess. Uh, but, you know, the thing we always want to avoid is the idea that, that the Bible will tell us how to be political. Right. But exactly. the, other, the other way is, you know, what is the Bible? How do you read it? Right? So, the other side of it is how do our political inclinations affect how we read the Bible, what we focus on, and indeed right. how we interpret it. Right. In that sense, it's very, very relevant. But 
I think what some people mean to is is more expressing our own political opinions, and, right? And you should be neutral or something. Others say no, you shouldn't be neutral, right? Right. So come on, people. Yeah, we can't please everyone. That's uh, what happens when you have more than two people listening to your podcast. You get these different <laughs> opinions about politics. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's I think that's valid. But you know, I think that one thing to say is one thing I'm actually proud of that we do here is we want the scholars to have their words and have their say and to bring that scholarship to bear and not necessarily for us to have these uh, social commentaries on that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one thing for me that I try to keep in mind as we have these episodes. And yet if it comes up, the freedom to be people to say what we think about this issue or that issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're not bound to be uh, middle of the road. I mean, I think there's a sense in which because the Bible can be used either way that we're supposed to be kind of, quote, neutral about it. But we're just like anyone else. We have our own ethics mm-hmm. that, you know, guide how we read the Bible, how we see what it is, how we see what we're supposed to do with it. And, yeah. And and plus, you know, keeping politics and religion separate, that's a good thing on the large scale. You don't want a state church, although many would say that, America actually does have a state church right now. Um, but it's hard to separate gospel and politics anyway, right? Because it's it really isn't, I think, a wise idea to say that you should just keep the Bible out of politics or politics out of the Bible. Or, or forget the Bible, your faith, right? Right. Because and, and, that's like, I think, precisely not what we're supposed to do. We don't have to run for office, but to care about community and about life without getting sucked into it and identifying our faith with a particular political construct or party or system, whether it's democracy or whatever, and not to sort of align God with that and say that God thinks the way we do about these political issues. Yeah, I think that's a great point. That I think in a lot of the conversations this year, it was – when we say politics, what we mean is fighting between platforms of Republican versus Democrat, mm-hmm. where I think there's a broader, more robust, and more helpful definition of politics that talks about social engagement and community and how we do this thing together as mm-hmm. a society. And I think that absolutely our faith it plays a huge part in. Yeah. And I, I remember something I just heard uh, N.T. Wright say years ago about how now, he's British. He has a different perspective, which helps sometimes. Mm-hmm. But the the role of Christians in politics is to call power to account, mm-hmm. not to cozy up to power. That's there. That's a lot. I mean, the history of that in Christianity and Judaism very early on, that's – it's palpable, you know, that, you know, whether it's buying and selling the high priesthood in, you know, the during the Hellenistic period in, in Judaism or whether it's – the Holy Roman Empire, and and that, those things never ever turn out good. Right, right. So there is that is a political statement, and depending on your perspective, could be seen as partisan, I guess. But it doesn't have to be. I mean, I think that's the the point is how are we? What's our relationship to power mm-hmm. as a Christian right. people? And why does it get partisan at all? You know, why Why can't people who claim, you know, the same faith, or even not claiming the same faith, why Why do we get so animated about these things, mm-hmm. right? And I, I mean, I think fear has a lot to do with it, fear of losing the narrative that we're used to, the life we're used to, and all that kind of stuff. But why are we afraid of that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And, right. and I think that's that's the deeper spiritual question to be asked. And, and you know, if, if we're operating on that level, the question of whether – it's okay for us to engage in political views here. That It sort of takes a back seat at that point because everybody has political views. And right. you can engage with people that you disagree with politically, and mm-hmm. you pretty much have to in this country. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I guess the issue is engaging politics without becoming politicizing, polarizing. Right. And that's – but the thing is, if you voice a, a point of view that somebody doesn't like, you're polarizing at yeah. that point. Yeah. So. Well, it, you know, I make this. I've made this point before. You know, growing up, there the boogeyman was relativism. That's what we were afraid of. Is if you don't hold to these set of standards or whatever, you're going to be a relativist. And and what came to mind in the past few years politically is most people I talk to, they would all call themselves centrists, 
and by that they mean anyone to the left of me is a liberal and anyone to the right of me is a conservative. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, wait, that's relativism. You just made the definition of all of these things. You centered yourself and you defined everything in relation to you as though you're the center of the – like, it is that is relative. It is self-centered, isn't it? To yeah. say you're the balanced part. Yeah, right. And so, I just thought, oh, this, th- this is what my, you know, this is what my pastor warned me against here. Yeah. Um, yeah, by the way, that's a common criticism in uh, that I, I it's a common criticism that I've heard over the years in the evangelical world when you espouse an opinion and people say, well, it's got to be more let's put some balance to that. And of course, that person's the picture of balance and you're not. Right. right so right, which is it, really just say, you know, come a little bit more to my side, please. Right, exactly. But that, you know, we I guess but, we're all susceptible to that. But let's tie that in because uh, it kind of ties perfectly in with the podcast because something we get a lot of feedback on is you know, why don't we have a balanced viewpoints on the podcast? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, by that pretty much they mean why don't we have more conservative maybe evangelical uh, perspectives mm-hmm. on the Bible, on the podcast. Yeah, because uh, they're always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Jared just fell over in his chair. I'm so oh, funny. my word. Yeah. No, I'm, we, we thought about that, and I think at the beginning, our vision was to model things for people who are coming out of that environment. I mean – this sounds rather dramatic. I don't mean it to sound quite that dramatic, but people who are really deconstructing from a conservative point of view that happens to be very tied to American politics anyway, and and giving and and letting them see, you know, there are a bunch of people out there who've never heard of the evangelical hero you keep listening to in the back of your head. And just let them talk and just let them be. And and you know, we it's probably clear we agree, Jared, with you know ninety nine point nine percent of the guests. Maybe not every last word, but generally speaking, we're on board. At least the frameworks. The framework. Yeah. We we recognize the importance of the framework in bringing a different paradigm, a different model for understanding the Christian faith and for living the Christian faith and for connecting with the Bible and all that kind of stuff. And that's what we want to do. I think. I mean, here's what would happen if we had people on who were more conservative. And we're saying things that I know the people who come to us to listen to this podcast, they've heard all that before, and they, they, they're they looking for something else. And at that point, the podcast would become more of a debate, and that's the last thing that we want this podcast to be. This is not a debate. There's enough debating. This is just – listen, folks, if you're ready, if you want to – if this is where you right. are – Come on and listen, and we got all this different stuff, and you can make up your own mind what you think. Well, you hit the nail on the head for me because, you know, I still have a very vivid mental picture when we started the podcast of the, you know, the impetus for me, the motivation for me was I grew up, and on every other corner, we had a Christian bookstore, Lifeway Christian store. We had all these, and they all had the same, every single book in there had the same perspective, a framework of what the Bible is and what we do with it. And th- I didn't know that any of this other stuff existed. Mm-hmm. So, going to seminary and learning about John Levinson or Kugel or some of these writers and just thinking, oh my, where was this? This is so rich. This is so good. This is so uh, – it resonates with me so much. Why was that not in any of these bookstores? And mm-hmm. so, it just – it rings true when you say, you know, they've heard it before. It's like, well, we want to try to give a perspective that maybe a lot of people just – haven't had access to. Right. It'd be sort of analogous, like in graduate school, when I'm sitting in classes with John Levinson or Jim Kugel and others, and they're teaching for a half a semester, and somebody says, let's bring in an inerrantist here to balance this a little bit. And I'd be like, well, no, I've heard that, and it already doesn't make sense to me. I actually know what they're going to say here, so I don't, that's not, I don't want to do that here. Right. That doesn't mean that there aren't valuable places for people to give different perspectives, but not every podcast has to be everything for everybody. Yeah, that's true too. And we can't do that. And we don't want to, we don't, you know, so, you know, we have people on from all over the place, from different walks of life, different perspectives, different backgrounds who don't talk like the people that have been in our background of our lives, Jared, and Mm -hmm. the the background Mm -hmm. of a lot of people here who come and, and listen to the podcast. And, that's a good thing because the world is bigger 
than any one perspective, yeah. right? And God's bigger than any one perspective. And that alone is, I think, something that gives people a lot of hope and comfort that, yeah. oh, I'm not crazy. Right, right, right. How many times have we heard that? You know, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I heard this podcast, and 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 I, it's. I've been thinking these things, and not being able to put them into words. And it's so good to know that I'm not alone and not crazy. That's the kind of thing we're trying to create here, and and to bring people on who will argue against that, even implicitly. Is I mean, there's a place for that kind of debate, but not right. here. You right. know, we just don't right. want to do that because that's. Um, I think that would be impeding the the process, the journey that these people are on. So you just have to come back. You know, okay, you left the fold a little bit, but let's get you back here as quickly as possible. And sometimes the pressure to do that is really, really, really strong. And I don't think that's right, and neither do you. Right. So we, right. Don't, want, we don't want to create that space. Well, and and maybe that launches us into this next category because I think the impetus, at least on occasion, when I when I get feedback like that that says, "Why don't we have more conservative scholars on?" Usually, it's from the framework of, "I kind of need to learn how to engage with more conservative mm-hmm. people that are in my life." And right. 2020 was, if nothing else, else the test of that. <laughs> lives. <laughs> and we failed miserably. Politics, racism, COVID, yeah. you know, how do we, if, and we talked a little bit about in, in the past, families divided over deconstruction and where people are in their faith journey. And how do we talk about these differences in constructive ways? Right. Yeah. Well, I think to have podcasts about talking about those differences in constructive ways, that, that which isn't necessarily the same thing as having on very different points of right. view and like let's hammer it out in 45 minutes i think that's the kind of thing that's modeled slowly just by absorption over mm-hmm. weeks months or years mm-hmm. you know and not by us necessarily right. but by or you could write a book called love matters More. you could do that you could you I could mean, theoretically well yeah the thing is that that the, here's the thing though that topic of how to talk to people you disagree with is sort of like the elephant in the room that we always focus on the realm of ideas and debating, but how to actually be human in those kind of situations, that's that emotional and psychological dimension that, you know, Jared, we've talked about this before, that that doesn't really get talked about very much. And right. really, that needs to be brought to the surface, because when you talk about that, the other kind of stuff takes a back seat a little bit. Mm-hmm. It can, but I think not to to bring the thing we were talking about earlier back up, but you know, this phrase I keep hearing of kind of both sides-isms, where it's it, where we want to be the neutral. I feel like that that impetus, we're motivated to do that because this is how we've learned to navigate these uncomfortable situations when we're with family members. And it allows us to be kind of the neutral party that's like, well, I don't, I agree. I get you what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, I think this idea of disagreeing with people is actually really important. Yeah, we have to actually disagree with them, not take the back seat and say, "Well, some of you and some of you, sure." I'm just going to kind of wave the white flag and not engage. How do we actually stand up for our own convictions and our own political opinions, but do it in these ways that aren't dehumanizing? Right. To do it well, which um, I, don't know, I think you just have to make up your mind and do it. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's learning communication skills. That sounds rather ridiculous, but I think once you try things out, you know. Remember when Brian McLaren was? He spoke at your church a few yeah. years ago, and he sort of gave an example of how he handles these very kind of situations. And someone says something that he is, you know, polar opposite of politically, and he'll just listen and just nod his head and say, "Hmm, I think differently about that," and that's the end of it. Because mm-hmm. and just to say that. Without responding in anger, right? That alone is a step that might make people think. Like, okay, maybe I don't have to argue about this. Maybe I don't have to be right, right. all the time. You know, right? But um, hmm. it's it's tough. And yeah, love matters more, right? Yeah, it does. It really does. Well, I think that's just. I mean, I feel like that topic. Not to be self promoting the book, but the the idea of that is woven into all the topics we've talked about. You know, families divided over religion. It's just been a year of such division 
COVID, racism, politics? Why don't we have more conservative guests on? What you know, this all comes to this conversation of how do we stand up for what we believe in, and how do we not dehumanize people in the process? Yeah. And I think we still have a long way to go. Yeah, I think in being able to do this. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You know, folks, I've had allergies my whole life, and I never knew what to do with them. I didn't even know that I had allergies. But anyway, one day I went to the doctor several years ago, and I said, listen, I keep having a stuffed nose, and it's just my throat hurts, and it's horrible. And he says, have you tried Claritin D? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, you have to. See, luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double-action combination of prescriptive-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. You know, I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for about 15 years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for hikes without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat, and my nose isn't stuffed all the time. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning. Residential online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for Normal People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener to the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. Yeah. And what, what role... For thousands of years, we've had a long way to go. Yeah, that, that was going to be my next question. What role does the Bible play or not play? Because as I think about it, I just think the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, the Bible has its own political opinions on things from the, from an ancient point of view. But yeah, I guess I mean, if you if you sort of pin me to a corner to answer that question, I would say that the Bible doesn't tell you how to handle these situations. Mm-hmm. I think again, not to beat a dead horse too, but I think wisdom is what helps, and wisdom is accumulated understanding of situations. It's learning how to navigate life. And engagement with the Bible is a part of that, I think. But it, frankly, it's a selective engagement with the Bible because the Bible doesn't like, – it's, it's not this great rule book you follow. It's not – what does Richard Dawkins say? Or, or um, Bill Maher, one of those – one of those famous atheist guys says, you know, God's big, God's big bad rule book that drops out of the sky, mm-hmm. which is – you know nobody thinks that, but people act like it. And – it, it, the Bible doesn't really function that way, and you know we had a episode uh, recently um, where one of our guests talked about uh, underselling the Bible, you mm-hmm. know, which is a nice idea, I think. Um, well, don't unpack that a little bit. It. Yeah, don't expect the Bible. Don't promote the Bible as a thing that's going to answer all of your questions: scientific, historical, political, familial, all these things, or even religious. Right? The Bible raises as many questions as it answers, and and then don't. You undersell it a bit. Say it's a partner with you, you know, and and you engage it and you engage it wisely. But our our ethical decisions, I think, rarely, frankly, if ever, are outlined for us in a text that is so diverse. 
Right. So ancient. Right. Meaning, so even ambiguous. if it is, even if it is clear, which is a tough thing to get from the Bible. Again, when is it describing something? When is it appreciated? That's difficult. Yeah. But even when it's clear, we have to take into account the diversity of it. Which right. okay, so it's clear here. But did you know that it says something very different here? Yeah. Oh no, it doesn't. It can't because it's the Bible. Right. 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 But it does. Yeah. And and again, this that's not dissing the Bible. That's that's actually Hopefully trying it's to be respecting very. It. It's yes, respecting it and trying to be descriptive of its contents, right. which then leads us to ask the question: Okay, what does it mean to read this? Well, you know, what is the Bible, and what do we do with it? Stay tuned for more Bible for Normal People. Hey everyone, my name is Steve McConnell from Sarasota, Florida, and I'm part of the producers group here at the Bible for Normal People. This podcast is brought to you by supporters on the Patreon platform, and for as little as a dollar per month, you can be a part of this growing community of supporters and receive lots of videos from Pete and Jared and other rewards, so check it out at patreon.com backslash the Bible for normal people. One thing I appreciate about being a part of the Patreon group is the challenge I weekly receive from Pete and Jared to let the Bible speak on its own terms and to not be afraid of what it says and how it says it. So please consider supporting Pete and Jared and their great work. If you aren't able to support the show financially, don't worry. You can go to iTunes and rate and review the podcast. One group in particular we want to thank is our producers group who helped make the podcast what it is today. Thanks to Michelle Oni-Snyder, Rod Markin, Kenny Nolan, Elia Vasquez, Nathan Kelly, Angela McCracken, Questioning Senior, Martha Mason, and David Partillo. The Bible for Normal People couldn't happen without you. Now back to the podcast. But, you know, that that's why, you know, I... I don't. I mean, I sometimes have discussions with people, like students, for example, and I say, "What, what, or which of our ethics comes from the Bible?" Well, do not murder. Okay, that's in the Bible, but does your ethic come from that, or is it just something that you did also you know, agree did with? Did you know not to murder before you read that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> did Did ancient people know that murder is a problem? You know. Well, historically, I would guess this isn't our first instance of prohibitions against murdering. Right or killing? Absolutely not. No, and and however they arose is another question. But you know these aren't like, wow, really? I should I shouldn't steal. You but know? I know that sounds simplistic. But I just you know in my tradition growing up that was we never would have said that. But that was essentially what we mm-hmm. believed was we had all these pagan heathen. Well, you know, to be honest, we didn't because Adam and Eve were the first people and, you know, but, you know, other cultures didn't get it. They were all heathens and pagans and didn't follow any of the right rules and they were just pissing off God all the Mm -hmm. time. And then God gives Israel this group, you know, this law book and, oh, this is how we're supposed to act. And that's just not historically accurate in in any sense. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, we'll get into the whole law of the Old Testament, so it would take us far afield, but... um, the 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 Bible does not uh, cooperate with us well to be used as the ethical guide. It can be a source of ethical contemplation and reflection, but that's a very very different thing. Well, to maybe talk a little. I think that's important. How would you how would you talk more, or even just process out loud more the distinction between those two things? I think. Um, it's sort of like the Wesleyan quadrilateral, which is another topic. But you know, our our knowledge, our theological knowledge, is this interaction between scripture and tradition, and reason and experience. It's a whole embodied engagement of what it means to be in communion with God, who is all around us and in us anyway. And the Bible is a means of accessing. That it's not the only means of accessing that. If we didn't have a Bible, we'd still okay. God is still real, right? All that kind of stuff. So you know, I, I think the um, a more subtle understanding of the role that the Bible plays among all the other things that make us human, including our ability to reason. I mean, that's one of the things I mentioned. You should always not listen to your reason. Listen to the Bible, dude. We use our reason to read the Bible, and everyone does. And if you have a study Bible, which you do, people have used reason to explain what the Bible is, right? So, it's not just the Bible, and it's, it's also the tradition we come from. It's our social location. You know, the color of our skin makes a difference in how we appropriate the Bible, and, and whether we use it for power or whether we speak for the marginalized, all these kinds of things. You know, the Bible is used 
by people. And and in that sense, I think it's it's really important that we not if if we say the Bible is our ethical guide, what we're really doing is baptizing our own ethic and that's saying right. it's biblical. That's right. And that's the and that's been done in history, folks. Right. And let's let's stop that, and let's think of another way of engaging this tradition that doesn't sort of absolutize it. So then, this ethical guide understanding would it be fair to say then? Biblical is not an appropriate adjective if the noun is ethic. There isn't a biblical ethic. No, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, the way you're using it, but I can just play with words and I can say a biblical ethic is one that treats the Bible not like a rule book. It's, it's, it's an I ethic see. where you're yeah, engaging yeah, yeah, the yeah. text, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I do think, you know, anybody who's been around the Bible for a long time, you've been burned by it. But you know what? And the good thing, you know, Jared, we've talked about this. Our our tradition, you know, you know, the the reform tradition that we were a part of. One thing they got going for them is like you read the Bible a lot and you become very familiar with its content. And there are still places that I think about passages, stories that I think about that are very important to me. There are there are other parts of the Bible that I would have ignored twenty years ago that now are like getting central attention for me, but as a as a means of grace, which is a language I've used for a while now, as a, as a way of as as an entry point, one of the conduits or the the funnels through which you know we can have a conversation about ultimate meaning, you know, mm. and and. And, it, and, you know, even when the Bible says something that seems very, very clear, we still have uh, – how we understand that clarity is absolutely filtered through. You know, And that can be almost anything in the Bible. Anything that Paul says about whatever issue, it's within a first century context. And if – you know, and, and we have to have that responsibility. We have to take the responsibility of reading anything in the Bible – taking seriously our own experience and our own humanity because it ha- this life has not stood still for 2000 years right so yeah all that kind of stuff well, and, and if we do that i think we will th- those kinds of differences within family members that's the thing to get back to is you know when when there you may not have the 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 polarization may sort of go to the background because we all understand what we're doing with the bible no one's more biblical than the other person. Yeah. I was going to bring up uh, an episode that we had with Ben Summer, because in some ways I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take him out of context here a little bit. Um, but there's this sense in which – is it – I don't want to – I don't want to – this is anachronistic, but to call – you know, he talked about this differences between the JE sources and the DP sources and how they portrayed God. And – this J.E. source, which is more narratival, it's more earthy, the word I want to come back to in this conversation is more naturalistic almost, mm-hmm. yeah. where God can show up in many not different ways. That's right. Yeah. yeah, not in many different ways. And, and I just see some parallels in the faith formation in communities around the U.S. right now. It, it's sort of the, well, frankly, there's the law and order Mm-hmm. Right group of Christians, and that sounds more kind of Deuteronomic, like priestly mm-hmm. bureaucracy is good. It keeps things in order, and that's you know cleanliness is next to godliness. That's kind yeah. of like and the there way are people it goes. clearly in charge of making enforcing that. And right. God can only be accessed in these right. appointed ways. Yeah, and then there's this more quote naturalistic way mm-hmm. where God's more surprising and less. Uh, less uh, groomed and more mm-hmm. spontaneous and God can show up in that rock and God can show up here and that seems to be more in that Wesleyan quadrilateral where what gets baptized isn't just this book or this board of elders or this denomination but what gets baptized is your own reason your own experience your own community and that's it feels well, more liberating to me it is and I you know you're, you're mentioning J.E. and D.N.P. and and you know if you're really interested Go back and listen. I'm assuming. To my I'm Bell assuming Housen, everyone yeah. has listened to the yeah, Bell episode. Way. But here's the thing. They, I mean, th- this breaking down of Torah of the Pentateuch into basically these four traditions is not a waste of time 
because it allows us – this is one of Ben Summers' big points, and other many others say this too, but it allows us to see the religious dynamic within Israel itself. If anything can be a model for contemporary Christianity in America, it's seeing this development, these, these shifts, these changes in how God is perceived – Within the biblical text itself, you're seeing a debate, an argument, a discussion, and they're all valued. Well, that's the beautiful thing, right, is whoever put this Bible together in the end didn't lop out these challenging traditions, but Mm -hmm. put them side by side. Yeah, what Brueggemann calls the counter-testimony, not just the main testimony where if you obey God, everything turns out great. If you disobey, God gets mad and you get what you deserve. There's this whole strand of the Hebrew scriptures, which is, yeah, no. (laughs) I know that's how it's supposed to work. (laughs) It's good in theory, folks, but it doesn't work that way. So, I mean, having – I think there – there, there might be a way forward for thinking positively about religious difference with it, differences within a family or within friends, a church, mm-hmm. or whatever, to think about them as being th- – those are valuable things to disagree. But the end product might not be – and now we all agree and we have all – I've convinced you of my point of view because you have this – True theological diversity in both testaments, frankly. The Gospels don't portray Jesus the same way. They have differences of opinion. John's Jesus is not Mark's Jesus. They're different, right? Uh, Paul, Peter, and James probably had a food fight at some point in time, you know, maybe literally about kosher right. food or not, right? Yeah. So, uh, and, and those are like the earliest writings of the New Testament already have conflict built into them. It's hard to avoid it. Let's just say this is the way it is. But don't hate each other <laughs> because of the conflict. Because whoever compiled the Old Testament and 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 the the process of bringing the New Testament together, the different voices were essentially canonized, and we have to deal with them. And, right. And no, we don't have to deal with them. We just have to accept that this is the way it is. And maybe that affects how we think about things like. Whether COVID's real or not, you know, mm-hmm. or whether there really is systemic racism in our country. And people are going to have opinions about that. But no one – I mean, I, I don't think people should be afraid to voice their point of view right. on those very, very important issues. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, not to be um, thought of as less than Christian for doing so. That happens a lot. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, Pete, I've been pretty emotional this week, and I was trying to reflect on why that was. And it turns out, you know, my best friend from college just died. My mom's been in the hospital, and I just haven't taken the time to reflect and process all of that. And it's been coming out in all these wonky ways, and that's exactly what therapy can help with. That's really been my experience with therapy as well. I've benefited tremendously from therapy, and I think lately I've been able to get to the point of why. It's learning to look at your situation more as an observer from the outside instead of just reacting to things, just thinking about it and processing the information. I find a lot of the problems become more manageable that way. And that's what therapy does for me. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BNP today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BNP. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes. But we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you were in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction <laughs> level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We loved the process. This spring, they have their best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. 
And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah, I think that's. I think that's. If you really listen to the Bible, Pete, you would know X, Y, and Z. Like, actually, I've read it, and that doesn't really say that stuff. You uh, pretentious. I know I am, and that's just it. <laughs> oh, the experts, right? Like, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's. It is. A, it's a tricky line to walk because on the one, you know, you don't want to. Again, you don't want to come back to kind of well, both sides isms, where each side is equally valued. But I don't. I think that's an. It could be a slippery slope, but I don't think that's the same as saying, listen, I'm going to stand my ground. I have my opinion. I'm actually going to fight pretty hard, not against you, but for policies and platforms Mm -hmm. that enact the kind of justice that my ethic demands of Mm me. But, you know, and that's, you know, one thing I've been coming up on as I talk about this more and more with people is that's one good strategy is the energy that we may use to argue against people. And to get really outraged against a platform, why don't we shift that to taking that energy to furthering that cause? To create that's because it's harder. Create the platform that we want. It's not see. as fun. It's right. As squashing it's not as your cathartic. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, I, I I can relate to that because you know when I was, you know, if you know my story a little bit, when I left. Um, where I was teaching and it was a very combative environment. I had a, I had a, it took me years to think in terms, okay, now what do I want to create in the world? And not just how, how do I want to argue better than somebody else and, and make sure they're wrong? I, rem- I remember those conversations a long time ago with you, even around some of the books you were going to write. Yeah. You like, you would start writing and it turned into what you're against. Mm-hmm. And you were like, no, like, I got to figure out what I'm for. But it's so easy to just be what you're against. Mm-hmm. That's really, that's the default drive. I don't know why. Maybe there are a team of therapists who are listening to this who can tell us why. But it, it is true. It's harder, but it's also life-giving to be – to try to be positive about – Well, in some ways, you know. it's easier because you have the materials right in front of you. I know what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. To create something new is, is uncharted territory. Right. I, if I, yeah, I just have to be a good editor in some ways to kind of be able to critique right. – this that's very You're different. Wrong here, 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 here. <laughs> exactly. But good try. Yeah. And exactly, and yeah. you know, not to come back to this deconstruction, but I think that's helpful. Is I think that's one of the reasons too why we don't stay in this. Like, how do we have more conservative people and what debate? And we want to talk more about that constructive side of how a messy Bible doesn't have to paralyze our faith, mm-hmm. but a messy Bible can actually energize our faith. Right. And I think that's a big tipping point for people going on this journey to move from, oh my gosh, I'm in this free fall, I'm anxious, I'm worried, I'm fighting with everyone, I don't, to this can be free, this can be freeing, this can be liberating, this can be energizing. I can see now how I can build a life of faith from this messy, ambiguous, diverse thing we have. Even if it's frightening. Right. And right. Maybe because life is frightening. Because it's frightening, right. it's a good idea. Because, I mean, you know, just not to sound Sunday schooly, but if, if God is big, <laughs> bigger than us, right, whatever we mean by that, I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. Like, God's bigger than us. Oh, you know, yeah. is that even the right way to talk? But you know what I mean? It's It's... If if we don't limit God to our own preferences, that's comfortable to do. But if we don't do that, it can be a little bit frightening. But it's actually, if God exists, that's a good thing to do, is to get out of your own head. Right, right. Which was a hard thing for me to learn. I mean, I, I still learn it. I love being in my head. Nobody else does, but I do. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. I got it all figured out. Actually, I don't. I'm just kidding. I don't. I don't. I really don't think I have it all figured out. But I do like to process and to put things in order and structures in my head, and that makes me feel good. Well, and again, this we're erring on the side here. We're leaning on the side of being pretentious. But I, I do think there's something to. I, I remember Peter Rollins said, "You know, the challenge is." You end up in deconstruction when you take your faith really seriously. Mm. And I think for for you for you and me, just because I know how our mind works, we're super analytical. And for me, that's what drew me to the Reformed tradition is they had their outlines of mm-hmm. this is how God works exactly. It's only when you kind of get to the end of that that you realize, wait, 
That, that's Wait it. a minute. That didn't <laughs> figure it all. I thought I was going to have God like completely figure I it out. I have some questions. Why did I pay thousands of dollars to come to this seminary and I don't end up with having a complete grasp of God? What is this? And False is advertising. It, but you see, the value of that process was that there was a structure from which you can even critique the structure and look look outside of it, but right. there's a framework. And I think all, in my opinion, all theological systems should work that way. It's a structure because we're only human. We're, we, we have, have location. Have we have time yep. and place. And there are personality types that are drawn to the Reformed faith as opposed to, let's say, Pentecostalism, which right. is not driven by those same kinds of concerns. Right. But it's within that system that you can branch out. But of course, as many people have experienced, uh, people listening, that it's it's the branching out from the systems that causes a lot of problems in their lives because oftentimes the people who run those structures don't feel that way. <laughs> they, they, well, this is it. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's what we experience too. But that's the struggle. It's not the structure. It's the you must stay here or you're less than. Yeah, it's that's not the seeing problem. the structure as provisional. Yes. Which it always is. As, as provisional, as temporary, right? As uh, John Frankie, who we had on, calls theology a second-order discipline. It's, it, it's not the first – it's, it's uh, giving everything. It's sort of like a level below that where we're just trying to mess with words and trying to make sense of stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, as we wrap up this season, I thought it might be good to end with this question for you of – you well, know, I think as I sing a hymn or something, as was, we that sort of scared me. I had this 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 flashback to the evangelical days. Let's end in prayer. Oh man, let's, let's hold uh, hands. Let's what? Let's roll through that chorus one more time. Yeah. Um, no, just you know, as we head into a new year, we head into twenty twenty one. What what what's kind of been your lesson that you've learned this year as it relates to your faith or to your this intersection of faith and conversation and community and people. What's a lesson that you've learned? Uh, I think a lesson that I'm learning, a, a lesson that's been magnified for me in all this, and I think many people have expressed uh, have experiences too, is just the enforced solitude, which I like, by the way, but I also am going crazy now. Uh, it started hitting me around August. Like I'm an introvert, so like the first few weeks and months, I was like. Awesome! I can no people. I can do what I want. But I think the that all that enforced quietness uh, it it helped me continue to see the importance of just. I start my day just being quiet. I don't have an agenda. I sit there with a cup of coffee. If marmalade lets me, check out the Instagram page. He keeps headbutting me at five in the morning. But and just trying to be quiet and not be in control of everything and I try to not have my phone with me and it just it's something just you know a cup of coffee half an hour I'll just sit there and not feel like I have to do anything and that's to me a really important part of just my continuing hope to become a human being so it's letting go of the need to control that's the light motif of my life <laughs> Same here. I mean, it just – the reason I bring that out is because it actually goes back to you, those personalities who are maybe drawn to a systematizing ordering of the faith. For me, it was clearly an attempt to control. Mm-hmm. I, like, if I can know how God works, then I have the algorithm for reality. Nothing can take me by surprise. Nothing can hurt me. I can just be in control of everything, mm-hmm. which is really what I wanted. Yeah. And I just want to be smarter than everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That may be true. I don't know. I've had to keep thinking about that. That you are smarter than everybody? No, that I want to oh, be. Okay. That, that's a goal. But, uh, but yeah, letting go of all that sort of stuff. And I know yeah. that sounds really simple to say, but it's excruciating. And I guess that's – I I when we get back to normal, I hope I don't get back to normal. You know, and and in some respects, I do want to get back to normal. In other respects, I don't want to get back to normal. And it's been a hard year for people. People have lost loved ones, and I haven't. You know, so I might be thinking differently if that had happened to me. But just where I stand right now, with all the stuff that's happened, and you know, the 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 COVID chaos, the the social chaos, the the tensions with race, and the political tensions that. Probably everybody feels, regardless of where they land on this stuff, that's 
we got a choice to make. Do we want to like fix all that? Or do we want to just sometimes take a step back and say, listen, I am, I'm going to do the best I can to live right now and do what I think is right. Mm-hmm. You know? And right. that's, that's a, that's a something that I hope, you know, that will stay with me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Jared, how about you? What's your final thought? on life and the I universe. I think similarly, you know, and, and for me, what you're saying resonates with me, and I would put it this way, though. What I learned this year is there's no substitute for experience. That, you know, the Bible gives us information, maybe, all these other things give us information, but the pandemic, when you, when you, when the world is a little outside of your control, which is what experience usually teaches us <laughs> as we get older, yeah. That that lesson goes deep, and it changes kind of who we are, and it changes how we approach the world. And for me to not acknowledge that, if God's involved in anything, how could God not be involved in that? Right. And and so it just highlights that God's presence isn't just in a book, and that the transformative stuff of life happens outside that book, and not that it's wholly independent, but that can become part of this much larger journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, here's to a better year for many of you in 2021. Thanks so much for uh, joining us for season four, and we're excited to yes. bring you season five, but not it's for a so while. good. I think we're going to just skip season five and just call it season six. <laughs> it's going to be so good. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and that's uh, six weeks away. Six maybe? weeks away. Yeah. yeah. Just, okay. Folks. So we'll see so you in about time. six Try weeks. Try to survive. Yep. See ya. See ya. Thanks as always to our team. Executive producer Megan Kamick. Audio engineer Dave Gerhardt. Creative director Tessa Stoltz. Marketing wizard Reed Lively. Transcriber and community champion Stephanie Spade. And web developer Nick Striegel. For Pete, Jared, and the entire Bible for Normal People team, thanks for listening. some quick mental health facts let's go nearly 2 million ohioans live with a mental health condition in the u.s more than 50 percent of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide so why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma ohio challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org